Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is podcast number one. Hi, this is Paul Lemberg, and I want to welcome you to Orchestrating Success with Hugh Ballou. This podcast is all about ways to redefine leadership as a pathway to increasing your business or nonprofit income. Now, here's Hugh with today's session. Welcome to Orchestrating Success, Converting Passion to Profits, Session 1. This is my brand new podcast. The recurring themes that have come up over my 30-plus years of working with leaders, leading businesses, leading churches, leading synagogues, leading charities, leading all kinds of organizations, are themes that I'm going to weave through this podcast over the different sessions. And I've already interviewed some really great people with some powerful wisdom. In the next series of podcasts, I'll be uncovering things like my four universal principles that'll make you a better leader no matter where you're leaving. My five pillars of success. One, two, three, four, five. Here's the pathway to success. I meet leaders doing all all kinds of different things. I go to events, I keynote at meetings, conferences, workshops, symposiums, summits. I meet people in all kinds of gatherings where they're sharing information and improving their future. I commend people for studying. Many times people are coming looking for the secrets outside of themselves. They're looking for secrets to come from someone else when in fact, the secrets are inside. And as a matter of fact, some of the secrets inside are the secrets that are holding us back. The barriers we create to success often are those barriers that we hold inside of us. They're those negative scripts. They're those things we have been compromised with over the years. And there are things that we don't know about ourselves. There are the mistakes that we've made. Well, it's time to forgive ourselves and let go of those mistakes and say, okay, okay, it's time to let go. It's time to say, I've done the best I can. Now, those mistakes have been reframed from mistakes and redefined as learning opportunities. And I got to tell you, I've had many, many, many learning opportunities. This foundational podcast is about equipping self, unbinding self, releasing the barriers, getting to know what's holding us back. It's the shadow that's inside of us that repels money, repels team members, repels customers. When we really want to attract those, those are the people we need because we have something they need. I don't know about you, but I, I listen to lots of podcasts. I learn lots of things from many, many people. 
And many people are very successful, and many of these successful people have a niche. This is what I do. And I've been bombarded with people selling me, this is the program that's going to make you rich. Well, yes, we need to make money. It's not about the money. It's about me making a difference in people's lives and building a sustainable profit for me, a sustainable income for myself and my business. We need to make money to make sure that we achieve the vision and mission that we see so clearly in our minds. Over the the series of podcasts, we're gonna look at some of these shadows, look at some of these barriers, look at some of these fears and obstacles that are holding us back. Let's look at defining the life that we want and then we create the enterprise that's gonna support that life that we want. When I meet people in different gatherings, they have great ideas. And out of every 100 people that has a great idea, I know that only three people will actually do something about it and follow through. And out of those three people that do something about it, 90% will fail because they haven't worked on their skill. One of the people I read and listen to is John Maxwell. And John Maxwell talks about the different laws of success. And one of those is the law of the lid. The law of the lid. It says that our organization that we are charged with leading can only develop as far as our ability to lead. And I tell people that, and I talk about the Dun & Bradstreet study that said 90% of businesses fail because the leaders can't lead the business. People nod at me, say that's very interesting information, but it doesn't apply to me. And they go on and try to invent the future without the skill set. The blue 1090 rule is the knowledge, the skill, the programs, the services, the systems that we teach, that we have, that we offer is 10% of our business. The other 90% are those things that we don't know that we need. It's, it resembles an iceberg. We see 10% of the iceberg above the water, and the 90% that's below the water is what holds up that 10%. And it, so I, I equate this to trying to fly, fly a plane without ever having taken flying lessons, without having a pilot's license. So we wouldn't dream of trying to fly a plane, especially with passengers, without having the proper lessons. So I meet people who say, okay, I know this, I know this, and they ask me, what do I do? And I say, I help equip you for success. We call it leadership. And I've gotten the response, oh, I've read the books, I don't need that. And I've watched some of those people that have given me that response, and years later, they're still stuck in the same place as they were when we first talked. So I would challenge the assumption of, okay, I can figure it out as, as I go. We are social entrepreneurs. We're making a difference in the world. We have a vision and mission to impact people's lives. And that vision and mission deserves to make it. We are, however, not in a sprint race. We're in a marathon. It's important to train for the marathon because we want to make it to the finish line. It's not sufficient to say, oh, I just ran. I'm an also ran. But we want to make it to the finish line. It's not as important to me to be first. It's important to me that I get there. 
And I want to get there knowing that I have not completely destroyed my body, that I have trained for this marathon. Yet we want to run a business. We want to start a charity. And we don't think we need to think about the system structures and skills that we would need. What are we thinking? What are we thinking? I'm just going to invent it. I've got infinite time. I've got infinite resources. I've got abundance of money. And I'm just going to waste it all and then see if I can get there. Well, guess what? The most successful people I know have coaches. The most successful people I know study their craft. They study about how to get there. And if you think about your favorite sports figure, your, fa- your favorite actor, your favorite musician, concert artist, every one of them, every one of them works with someone to stay at the top of their game. During my 40 years of working as a musical conductor, I studied with the best conductors in the world. And I found they were always, and the better they are, the more this is true, they were always working on themselves, always working on getting better at their craft, always drilling on those things that they need to learn, and always working with the best of the best to stay ahead of the game. I recommend that people always have a mentor in business, no matter where you are, because we're always developing, always growing, always building our skills. We want to define leadership in these ethereal, esoteric terms that are kind of fluffy. And I would rather get down to brass tacks. Let me give you my three benchmarks of leadership. A leader is, number one, a person who gets things done. A leader is, number two, a person who knows how things get done. A leader is, number three, a person of influence. People have said to me over the years, oh, you're a conductor. Well, I know conductors are dictators. Well, well, if you got a little white stick, it doesn't mean that you can make anybody do anything. You can, however, influence them. I was lucky to be able to hire some of the great players from some of the major orchestras and do some guest conducting in Europe. And I had some really great musicians that were sitting in the chairs around me. And I would get on the podium. And these are union musicians. They're getting paid for a union gig. You got two hours. You got to be done. They're leaving or you're paying them overtime. It's a very, very high-functioning culture, and they're daring you as the leader to, to, to empower them, and they want to be challenged. Now, they want to be challenged, or they just want to show up and play the notes. You've paid them for a two-hour gig. They're going to play the notes and leave. Or we can inspire them to excellence. And I was yet to find any group that didn't have the passion for excellence, and They were looking to me to excite that passion, to influence them, and to shape the process. Now, in my life, I heard a piece of music. It was okay. I heard the same piece of music by a different orchestra and a different conductor, and it was stunning. It was exciting. The difference was the leader. I work with lots of different companies, and there's a difference in the culture. The culture reflects the leader. 
I also find lots of leaders that blame others for things that don't happen. They blame their board. They blame their staff. Some even blame their customers. Well, if, if an orchestra or a choir doesn't perform up to standard, the first thing the conductor does is to look in the mirror. There's a famous saying, what they see is what you get in music. And in non-musical leadership, the culture is a reflection of the leader. What they see, what they experience, what they learn from the leader is what they're going to reflect back. I represent the integration of strategy and performance. When the conductor steps on the podium, we have a musical score. It's a piece of paper with dots. It's our job to transform those dots into this glorious music that we hear, that the audience hears in a concert. There's work to that. This piece of paper will sit on a desk, will sit on a music stand, and it makes no sound on its own. We must integrate that strategy, which is a piece of paper, into performance. All of the musicians in the choir and the orchestra have their own parts. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. Yet I find leaders in major companies that don't have a strategy. They don't have a plan. They say, oh, it's in my head. I can, I can tell people what I'm thinking. Well, it's mass confusion because nobody knows exactly what's going on. And it's, it's an insecurity of a leader to not be transparent, write down the goals. And I say to leaders, if you have a goal and it's not written down, it's not a goal. It's a dream. It's a fantasy. It is not going to happen. Writing the goal down is a commitment. It's a commitment to success. Sharing the goal with your team, sharing the goal with your mastermind group, sharing the, the goal with your mentors and your accountability partners is a commitment to success. It's also a pathway for the leader to develop the collaborative synergy of getting referrals. I experience over and over and over leaders who are burned out. And leaders complain about others in the culture not doing what's expected of them. Yet, when I probe deeper, I find that the same leader is doing everything. And I ask them, well, what's the incentive? What's the incentive for others to do things if you're doing it all? And that's an aha moment for a lot of leaders. That's called over-functioning. The reciprocity to over-functioning is under-functioning. So leaders actually set up problems. When we have an underfunctioning team, it's time to review how we have trained them to treat us, how we have trained them to perform in the culture, how we've created the standard of low performance. It's good to set the goals. It's good to, to be transparent about the goals. Transparency, by the way, is a very, very high leadership skill. Transparency is about being very clear on what you do and what you don't do. My friend Cal Turner went to his team at Dollar General, and he said to them, my dad founded this company, and I've got this job of CEO and president because of my genes. I'm chairman and president of this, this company, and I've got a vision for us going public. You've got the skills. So we need to work together. If you want to be successful, let's take this company public. 
Everybody on his team stepped up. They took the company public and everybody was wildly successful. And later they sold the company for a whole lot of money. And the company became very, very successful. And Cal said to me, Hugh, leadership is about defining your gaps and then finding really competent people to fill those gaps. And he said, I needed to be transparent with those people that I didn't have the skills and they did. He went on to further say that if I had pretended to have those skills, they would know better. And they would say, aha, I'm going to prove it to him. I'm going to show him. So they created a culture of collaboration because Cal Turner invited them into that space. I'm remembering one of the, the power leaders that I work with, coaching them on process and culture development and leadership. And we're finishing a call, and this person says, I've got to go to my team now, and there's some things that I don't do really well. What do I tell them? And I said, why don't you tell them? There was silence, and he said, uh, I can't tell them that I have weaknesses. And I paused, and I responded, and you think they don't already know? He said, thank you, hung up. Next week's call, he came on the call, he said, you know what? I told people that these are things I don't do well. And they, every one of them, filled up the space and said, oh, I can do that. I can do that. And I gave him the story about Cal Turner and defining gaps. Leadership is defining our gaps. It is finding what we do and we must do. And we do that well. And then finding other people to fill the gaps. Leadership is not about strengths and weaknesses. It's about skills and gaps. What we should be doing is what only we can do and getting the other things off of our plate. Leadership is getting things done. Everybody has ideas about what ought to be. 3% will actually do something. That's the law of averages. I remember hearing Jim Rohn in person. And he gives these stunning principles. And he says, only 3% of you will actually do it. Why? It's the law of averages. So in this first podcast, I would encourage you to think about your goals. What are your goals for your life? Write them down. Bob Proctor is famous for saying, write down 101 goals. I say, great, but write them on index cards. Sit at your dining room table. Get a fine marker, a medium marker. Write your goals down. Write as many as you can think about. By the way, what I've learned by studying the writings of Napoleon Hill is that the successful leaders he interviewed could see the future, define the future, in full detail, and then imagine and define it as already having happened. So we write our goals in present tense. We define them as already having happened. And then we work backwards for the process to get there. So define your goals in 
specific, measurable, present tense, powerful language. I am in possession of $1,500,000 from sales of products and services in the year 2020. 2020. That's a specific measurable outcome defined in present tense. My company delivers products and services to people in 83 countries. And I have a staff of 900 people that work with clients in a very intense manner. Every day, every day, 24 hours a day with somebody in every time zone in the world. Those are specific measurable goals. First, write goals for yourself. What does your life look like five years from now? Here's your assignment. Get some index cards, get a marker, sit at your dining room table, and imagine the future. This is called future visioning. Write down as many goals for your life as you can think. And then move the goals around and begin to cluster them. And I'm willing to bet that if you cluster all the ones about money, there's a financial track. There's there's goals about systems. How do we live? What's family like? What is our what does our life look like? Do we take vacation? Do we work? Do we play? All of these are about how we function. And then the other one might be about skills. What do we need to grow in ourselves? I mean, that's an example. Now, once you do that, you probably will end up with three categories, maybe four. One might be physically fit, running a marathon. And here's all of the goals around being physically fit, nutritionally fit, losing weight, building muscle, being healthy, being disease-free. Um, so you may have three or four categories. Four is maximum. Three is ideal. If we could have too many goals, we're going to lose control of those. Therefore, Put them in a track, put them in sequence in the track, then commit them to paper. Sleep on it and come back in every category. Write a header, which is the, the ultimate goal of where you're going to be after you complete those. That's the five-year target. Then only after you've done what does your life look like, make sure that you put in there the measures of satisfaction. What does success look like? What does satisfaction look like for you? How much is enough? How much is enough? How much is too much? Then you do the same exercise for the enterprise that you lead. You might have a napkin idea. You might have been in business for years. You might be compromised in the income that you want to receive. It's time to change that. Unlock that barrier. Remove that obstacle. Begin by envisioning the future for this business, this charity, this religious institution that you lead. Sit down and write as many goals for the future, cluster them. And I'm pretty sure you'll come up with a category called financial. You'll come up with a category we could call organization. What does the company look like? What does the nonprofit look like? How many people? What are the systems? And then products, services, programs, offerings. That's a whole category. Now, group them, 
put them in sequence, commit them to paper, sleep on it, come back, put a header for each category. This is what it looks like at the end of five years. After you sleep on it, you can decide you were too tame or too bold. Make sure that you've been bold enough. Make sure that you've created the measure of satisfaction. Now look at your personal goals and your business goals. This enterprise that you're starting, will it provide the life that you've defined? Make sure that we're going into this, that we're in alignment. We're not creating an enterprise that's going to consume us and take away the quality of life. Goals written down are the primary starting point. And then we're going to come back and write our vision and our mission. What is our vision and mission personally? What is our vision and mission for the enterprise? So we'll cover that in a different podcast. But first, let's do this future visioning. Define what the future looks like because our thinking defines our results. When Napoleon Hill interviewed Andrew Carnegie, Carnegie told him any idea that's held in the mind and emphasized that's either feared or revered will begin at once to manifest itself into the most convenient and appropriate physical form available. That's powerful. He wrote it down. Napoleon Hill interviewed these great people, Emerson, Edison, Ford, Wanamaker, Woolworth, five presidents, and more. He interviewed successful people and created the laws of success. And in chapter two, he summarizes the strategy that he encourages you to read every day. Number one, these people all had definiteness of purpose. They were very clear and they could articulate the future. Very clear purpose. Number two, they brought good to the world. They brought value to people. Number three, they surrounded themselves with very competent people. It's true that we become like the people that we hang around. If you want to be broke, hang around broke people. If you want to be successful, hang around successful people. Associate with those people who will lift you up and put you into a different space. And you will become like them and then you will support them. Keep the future in mind. The, the last of those principles was have a positive mental attitude. All of these people kept a positive mental attitude. They knew what the future was and they did not consider failure an option. Be the best leader you can be no matter what you're doing. Leadership is the pathway to profit. We have infinite passion. It does no good if we don't implement there are lots of strategies that people have written, and those strategies become written documents that sit on desks. A friend of mine calls it credenzaware. Remember, leaders are three things. Leaders get things done. Number two, leaders, this is the elusive piece for a lot of people. Leaders figure out how things get done. That's the secret. We must learn that. Three, we must become a person of influence. We attract people, not the people we need as James Allen, but we, we attract people that are like us. It's important to attract the people who are going to empower us. Know what you want, 
articulate your goals, you'll, you'll start moving right away toward those goals. You will begin attracting people that will bring you value. This is Hugh Ballou. Orchestrating success is about converting passion to profit. I'll see you again on next week's podcast. Thanks for listening today to the Orchestrating Success Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to stay focused on ways to redefine leadership and increase your profit. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.